Hello, and welcome to the Black and Dyslexic Podcast with Winifred A. Winston and LaDerek Horn, the show that unapologetically focuses on helping Black and underrepresented minorities navigate the special education process. We want to help raise awareness in the Black and Brown community, remove the stigma about learning disabilities, and provide you access to professionals in the space of dyslexia and special education that you need to hear from. Hey everybody, this is LaDerek Horn. And I'm Winifred A. Winston. And we are excited because the Black and Dyslexic podcast, this is our first episode. We're getting ready to launch it now. And so we just wanted to say a few words to y'all before the episode began. This interview, Winifred took the lead and, and got this, this interview in. So Winifred, you just want to maybe say a few words about who we're getting ready to hear from and you know, maybe our, our badass parent segment, let, let them know what this is. Yes, yes. So our first guest is Camilla Whitehead. She is a dear friend of mine, a fellow advocate. We started this journey together. My daughter, you know, is dyslexic and so is her son. And we met while just trying to find support groups around, you know, dyslexia and special education services. So we met at a decoding dyslexia support group and we've been thick as thieves ever since. And, um, you know, I had this vision of having a badass parent segment, right? You know, we're going to have tutors, we're going to have professionals, but I wanted parents to hear other parents' journey because a lot of time we feel so alone in this. So once a month, we're going to have a badass parent segment. And I wanted to open up with Camilla's story because we talk about a lot and we touch on a lot in this, this first episode. Yeah. And, and, you know, in listening through to this interview, you know, I actually got teary eyed because I could see the value in people being able to listen to just this conversation between um, both two black mothers, two advocates, and there are a lot of jewels that y'all are dropping. And so we're going to make sure the, to put different references that come out of the conversation in the notes and the description for this, for this episode. So I encourage folks to take a look at that. And yeah, I just overall, I just think, you know, this program is amazing and this is just a great way for us to get started. And so the next voice you're going to hear is going to be Winifred's and, uh, and then we're going to kick off the episode. Absolutely. And look, you guys, it's my first episode, so I may sound loud. Okay. <laughs> just a, she got, she got a little bit of energy. Okay, in this, in this. Energy. Um, <laughs> So it may be a little loud and it is a little longer than what we want to bring to you every week, but bear with us. You need to hear this. We decided to keep it the length that it is because I want parents listening. I want providers listening, advocates, everybody in this space to really hear, you know, we take you on a journey on this first episode. So there's a reason why we, we didn't cut it, right? Because you need to hear it. And so that's my disclaimer is all about, I am loud. So you don't have to put that in comments, inbox me and text me. I know. And we won't fix that later. <laughs> so, that, that, that's right. That's right. So here it is, you guys, your host, Winifred A. Winston, co-host LaDerek Horn, and we are bringing you the Black and Dyslexic Podcast. Today is our Badass Parent segment. Yes! I have my girl Camilla Whitehead here today. She is a licensed clinical social worker and a dyslexia advocate. She's also mom to a child who is neurodivergent. So welcome, Camilla. Good to be here. I'm excited. You're excited? Okay. Yes. Full disclaimer, I'm not going to pretend like we're not friends and we don't know each other, okay? 
So we've been advocate, advocating rather in this space for some time. So Absolutely. it's going to be very comfortable, you guys, because Camilla and I have been on this journey together for a number of years. Okay. Yeah. So Camilla, today, Badass Parent segment, I want you to share your journey. I want you to tell us about your advocacy and, um, you know, let the audience know, let our listeners know what this process and what it really takes to, to help your child um, when they learn differently. So I, uh, oh man, it's been, it's been a long journey. So I have a 14 year old um, who's a twin and, and she's neurodivergent and she has dyslexia, dyscalculia and written expression disorder. So, you know, you can only imagine that school has been a huge struggle for him over the years. So I think journey started really before we started kindergarten because I knew that there was something going on. I knew that there was something that wasn't quite clicking with his ability to retain information. And so he was in, you know, both my kids were in a family daycare at the time. And even the daycare provider was like, you know, Camelia, you might want to consider maybe having him tested because she was working with him, like basically one-on-one with him and my daughter, like every day doing numbers and letters and all of that. And he was still having a hard time with retaining. And so I also noticed it at home. And so before he started kindergarten, I decided to reach out to ChildFind. And ChildFind is a process where parents or educators can make a referral for an evaluation for a student if they feel like that kid is having struggles academically or, you know, may have a diagnosis of a learning disability or learning challenge. And so I went through that process and we, I can't remember when that was, I think that was in 2012 when we did that process. And then, you know, we had the meeting, they did some assessments and bottom line was, you know, hey, he's, on target developmentally. There's no need for any special education services at this point. He doesn't need an IP. Let's see how he does once he starts school. Wow. Yeah. So started school and needless to say, he was still struggling Uh, and through kindergarten. And then it wasn't until first grade that one of the teachers that I was speaking with had also shared some concern. And so at that point I was like, you know, let me get him tested again. So we went, I went through the child farm process again, and they did a series of assessments. And when we came back to the table, it was determined that at that time he was struggling with some stuttering, some mild stuttering. And so, so let me ask this, you went through uh-huh. child find again, he was in first grade. So what school, mm-hmm. you in public school or private? So at that time I was in a small private Catholic school. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I went through that process at that time in school. So he was afraid. Yeah, he was in first grade at that time that that was happening. And so we came to the table then and some of the assessments were done. But again, outcome was, you know, basically he wasn't far enough behind. They didn't have enough information to be able to determine that there was an actual need for an IEP or for special education services. So do you know, because that's key here, because you Mm -hmm. were in a private Catholic school, you still went through the child fine process Mm -hmm. versus, Mm -hmm. um, you know, trying to go through the 
IEP process. So that's key for, for folks to understand. Now, do you recall what assessments they did? Like, how did they explain that process to you since you were at a private school, but mm-hmm. now you're trying to go through child fine to get services? Do you even know what assessments they they so did? So I know they did speech and language, and they did um, speech and language. They did some educational testing with him. I cannot remember what the tests are. I do have the records of them, but I can't remember exactly what those diagnostics were that they used for the testing. Um, but I do know that speech and language was one of them um, that they had tested him for. And he just wasn't far enough behind. You know, how he was scoring on these assessments didn't reach the threshold of what they would consider criteria for an IP or for special education services at that time. And we know that dyslexia is a language-based learning disability, right? Mm -hmm. So the stuttering, you know, issues with articulation, speech, all of those are red flags, Mm -hmm. right? All of those are red flags because dyslexia is a language-based learning disability that's neurological um, in origin, and it impacts the ability to read, write, and spell. I want to make that Mm -hmm. clear to you guys. So a lot of folks will say, oh, dyslexia is a reading disability. Well, it's actually a language-based learning disability Mm -hmm. that impacts the ability to read, write, and spell. Okay, look, I'm checking. Like red flag check number two, right? Because first they're saying- Notice the signs. Notice the signs. Don't ignore them. Don't ignore them. First they're saying, okay, he's not farther enough behind. Now we're seeing some other issues. The teachers are seeing the same thing. And now they're still saying he's not far enough behind. Mm -hmm. Kind of sounding like that wait to fail. Yeah. And I think for the most part, it's, you know, it's not out there as a wait to fail, but that absolutely is what happens. You have to get far enough behind for them to be able to say that this is something that's really impacting learning because they, they go through a series of other things to try to determine if it's something else other than a learning disability, which is it's it's difficult because as a parent, you're going through this and you're like, I know that there's more. There's something happening here. You can't put your finger on it because the thing about it is, and that what I want to say about this process is that people are under the impression that somehow if you are more educated than other parents, then you're going to get certain things. You're going to pick up on certain things. You're going to notice certain things more. But that's not true. You know, I'm, I consider myself an educated parent, but I didn't go to school for education. So these things are going over my head. You know, <laughs> I didn't understand the assessments and what all this meant from an academic standpoint. So, you know, over the years while he was struggling, I, I didn't get it. I didn't quite understand what was happening. I just knew that there were challenges, but I didn't know. You know, most of us, we don't know what we don't know at the time. Yeah. And so, He struggled through first grade, second grade at the same school. And so I actually had a conversation with um, not only the teachers, but one of the the principal there. And I knew that it wasn't going to be a good fit. He wasn't going to be able to stay there because a lot of smaller private schools often don't have like special education services or you know, like a a social worker, psychologist, those things, you know, they don't have those services in place to be able to 
they mm-hmm. don't even have certified teachers because we started at a small Christian school. Right, right. We were at a small private Christian school for, uh, what was it, pre-K and K. Mm-hmm. So I know exactly yep. what you're saying. It's like, oh, yep. you know, they care and they have good intentions, but exactly. they don't have the capacity. They don't. They don't have the capacity to be able to help these kids. And so um, I made a decision at that point, you know, I wasn't going to pay to have my kid fail. You know, and that's exactly what was happening. So once we got to second grade, it was determined by the school at that point that he did not make the criteria to move on to second grade. So they were, if we had stayed there, they were going to keep him back in first grade. So I said, well, you know, wasn't comfortable with that. (laughs) Wasn't comfortable with the assessment. Um, And I decided that I was going to get him tested privately my insurance. So I went through the process and to be honest with you, I cannot remember at that time how I was figuring all this stuff out and knowing where to go and what to do and all of that. I honestly don't know because I was just kind of like this, this one woman show at the time. And so I ended up getting him privately tested at Mount Washington Pediatric Hospital. So and you was, just happened to go to a place that accepted insurance exactly, because, because exactly. we know that typically insurance doesn't cover this because they say it's not medically necessary. Exactly. Yet you need a diagnosis. Okay. Yeah. And I cannot remember. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was talking to someone about that and they were asking me about how did I get, how did I get that done through my insurance? And to be perfectly honest with you, I don't really remember what qualified him to be able to get the testing and for them mm-hmm. to pay for it. Honest, I don't know if it was um, concerns about attention and focus. I don't remember if it was concerns about just the academic piece or a combination of both because he didn't have a formal diagnosis at that point. So I don't even remember how that was put into place, but I was able to get it. You know, I talked with my insurance company and I let them know what the concerns were. And I talked with Mount Washington and got him assessed. And that's when um, I found out that he was diagnosed with a reading and a math disorder. So I didn't know that before. I knew there was something happening. I knew there was a struggle. I knew he wasn't retaining information, but I did not, I could not put my finger on what it was. And at that time, they weren't using the term dyslexia. That's what was my next question. Yes. Like you said a reading disorder, so you could see my wheels are turning. Yes. I'm like, wait a minute, did they yes. say dyslexia? So they did not. And to be honest with you, I did not even know about dyslexia at that point. So again, this was like, wait, what is dyslexia? Like I had not even heard of that. And so a lot of times if you're not in that arena where you're dealing with special education and things like that, these are terms that you just don't hear about. Right. And I didn't know what that was. And so when I talked with the psychologist who had done the assessment, because I looked it up after, you know what we do, you know, we get a, we get a diagnosis and we look everything up. So I looked at reading disorder and I was just looking and looking and looking and everything was saying dyslexia. And so I ended up calling the psychologist and saying, hey, so is this reading disorder, is it dyslexia? And she said, yes, but they were not, they were not calling it dyslexia at that time. And so on my paperwork, of course, it just had reading disorder and math disorder. It didn't even have dyscalculia which is the term for math disorder. You know, I was happy. I was excited. I was like, ha, ah, you know, that aha moment. Like I knew it was something. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And then I was like, okay, great. 
I've got this diagnosis. I was already in the process of trying to find another school. And I'm like, okay, I've got this great diagnosis. Once he, you know, goes to this other school, we're going to be good. (laughs) We got um, into a, a public charter school. And so, you know, I had this whole packet of, here it is, you know, here's all this information, here's the diagnoses. And, you know, what I didn't know at the time was, that's all great. But as a school, they don't have to accept those diagnoses because that's done privately. So as a parent, again, you don't know that, right? And so I'm thinking, I've got this great information now, I can present to the school and boom, everything's going to be good. So we ended up having a meeting shortly after they started the public charter school and he did qualify for an IEP. So they started him with an IEP. So did Um, you have to do, so what did they do though? So you, although you, since you already had, you know, an evaluation and documentation. So when mm -hmm. you went into the school system, did they evaluate him again? Did they do their own assessments or? So it wasn't formal assessments that they did. They just did like school-based assessments. And so I, I don't exactly know what those were. I, there was a psychologist that was with him during that time that was working a part of the IP meeting. And I think there was a psychological assessment done somewhere yep. during that time frame, I think. Yep. So they probably did the cognitive and the uh, yeah. academic. It sounds like, look, hindsight is twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. sounds like they took that and said, oh, we see some things here. Right? Well, yeah. And you and know what? They don't did their assessments to say, okay, mm-hmm. now we find him eligible mm-hmm. for a special education services under the IEP. Yeah. And the one important piece of that is that the other diagnosis that he had at Mount Washington was ADHD. Mm-hmm. So they had diagnosed him with that as well. The problem is, and the reason I call this a problem, because I think this is what the average parent goes through, not most parents, is that that ADHD component becomes the primary. Yes. So you can have the academic diagnoses. But if ADHD is in that picture, that is what they're going to focus on. And that is exactly what happened. They focused on the ADHD because that was more of the behavioral, you know, that was something that they could tangibly address. And you you know know? what? Let's just be honest. Mm -hmm. Let's be clear here. He's a young Mm -hmm. black boy. Yep. Young black boy. And he's not retaining information and he's behind. So it must just be the ADHD. It you must just saying? be the ADHD. It, it just mu- that must be the primary. And, you know, my daughter is mm-hmm. dyslexic and ADHD, and mm-hmm. I didn't believe the ADHD, right? Mm-hmm. I said, no, she's black. Oh, yeah, it's a medical code insurance. They want insurance to pay them. She don't have ADHD. She has high energy like her mom. Well, mm-hmm. now we know that she is like her mom because I'm ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't necessarily believe it. Right. Right. And so, so here's the problem. You see all of the reading, like how dare they reading disability, math Mm -hmm. disability, Mm -hmm. and you go with ADHD. The focus was the ADHD. It was not the educational component. And what I did not know at that time is when they implemented the IEP for, he did not get special education services until about three years (gasps) into the school year, three years into being there. I didn't know that at the time because when they were doing pullout and things like that, or they might have in classroom supports and things like that, but mainly the pullout, what was happening was the work that he wasn't able to complete in class, they would pull him out and just work on those assignments. 
So there was no special education services that were. So he was getting accommodations, yeah. basically. Yeah. Right. And we know yep. that accommodations are when you get extra time, yep. they call, call mm-hmm. on you in advance, but it's the services. Exactly. The IEP, which are the interventions mm-hmm. that would help him, which mm-hmm. would, would help remediate him. Mm-hmm. So, so parents, right. I want you to hear this. In that IEP, you have accommodations and you have services. And mm-hmm. the services are the interventions and the services are what makes it different. What is going to make exactly. the instruction different than what they're getting from the general educator, right? So, so you have to understand accommodations and services and services mean that intervention that's going to mm-hmm. remediate them. That's going to help mm-hmm. them, you know, that's going to help close that gap, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to help them get them to where they need to be. I didn't know the difference either, but I kept yep. saying, I yep. kept saying, okay, you're going to call on her in advance, but is that going to teach her how to read? I, mm-hmm. I couldn't, I didn't understand that. So mm-hmm. therein lies, you get, you, he's just getting accommodations. And I, I mean, I don't even know what, what would you call that? Pulling him out to help him complete work that he didn't complete. Exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. And see at the time, and again, I think this is where, you know, as parents, you're thinking that there's there's you're thinking that there's intervention happening. You don't know that the pullout is involving just doing, you know, helping him finish the paperwork that he had in class. You're thinking that they're doing an intervention, it's working, that you know, there's something happening. So you don't really know that it's not meeting the need. And so year after year, he continued to fall behind, continued to fall behind, continued to fall behind. And, um, once he, so he went there for second grade, both my kids were there for second grade. And so once we got to the end of second grade, we had to make a decision on promotion, you know? And so we had the promotion meeting, um, which I always find interesting anyway. And so I knew that going in at second grade, he was not, he was not ready for third grade. He just was not, he was not getting a lot of the core components of the math, the reading, the writing, he just wasn't getting it. And so at that time I thought, okay, maybe we'll keep him back for another year. And that was also the conversation I had with the school who were also in agreement with him um, being retained. Again, parents, when you hear this, I know you're, 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 you're thinking, oh my God, you know, retention, you know, everybody is, that's just a, a worrisome word and it should be <laughs> because I didn't know what I didn't know at the time. And I thought that that was going to help. And so I made the decision to retain him and it was disastrous. That's the best word I could, I can describe. The reason why she's saying that is Mm -hmm. because now that we know Mm -hmm. retention, if they're going to do the same thing, he's not going to progress. So why would you, and I hear a lot of parents say, oh, they're not ready. Let's retain them. Mm -hmm. Well, and then I asked the question, well, what is going to be different? Is the mm-hmm. IEP changing? What intervention mm-hmm. are they using? Because we haven't even gotten to that part when you realize mm-hmm. he needs structured literacy, mm-hmm. right? So, so that retention does more to harm the social and emotional. Absolutely. Right? It does way more harm, right? Because if he's going to have the same teacher and they're going to do the same instruction, yep. right? And they're going to do the same pullout, it's almost the definition of insanity. You're doing yeah. the same thing, yeah. expecting different results. Yeah. And as a parent, our mindset is, oh, they get another try at this. 
yeah. they'll get more time in in that grade and they'll catch on you know yeah. and they'll get what they need and they'll get those missing components mm-hmm. right and that's what we think that's yeah. what we think that's exactly what i thought <laughs> you're absolutely <laughs> correct and i tell parents now because again i i wasn't i wasn't at a place to tell them this but i tell parents now um question that don't be so ready to do the retention because exactly what you said, what is going to be different? And um, we went through that. I went through the retention and it was terrible. I mean, number one, his twin sister was there. And so I have a, you know, my daughter is, is a mainstream learner, a student, you know, has always been. She progressed to the third grade. He was held back. That was devastating for him on a number of levels. You know, he wanted to you know, his sister, him and his sister were very close. And so um, to not be able to transition with her mm-hmm. and then to be held back and like, why, why can't I go to third grade? You know, what, what did I do wrong? You know, what's wrong with me? And trying to explain that and not really, him not really understanding what was happening. But what he did understand was, why am I the only one that can't read? Why am I not getting it? Why can't I get these math concepts? You know, why can't I read like other students? So it was very difficult. It was very difficult from a social emotional, just like you, just like you said, it was very difficult from a social emotional standpoint, um, self-concept, you name it, all that took a hit um, when he was retained. So it took a while to get through that piece, but needless to say, he was retained. Um, nothing changed. It was the same things, and he still wasn't making progress. And that basically was what was happening year after year of not making progress. Now on the IEP, you know, those progress reports are documenting that he's making progress and that everything is going well and he's learning this and he's got all these great goals, but he never met any of his goals. Just when year did you year, realize that? When did you ooh, catch on? Probably not until maybe I want to say, I want to say it was probably when he was retained in second grade, somewhere mid mid that year into third grade, because it was still, we were still talking about third grade and there were certain basic things that he still couldn't do. And so I'm like, I don't understand. So what's, what's happening? Like, how is he doing? What is he working on? What is exactly the problem? Because even though, here's the other piece, even though you have those diagnoses as a parent, you don't really understand what that means. Exactly. You don't understand, like, what is it that he needs from an academic standpoint? You just know that there's this diagnosis, school, you know, educators are trained to be able to deal with academic. Um, well, you think they are. Yeah, you think they are. You assume they are. You assume, exactly. You assume that they're trained to be able to deal with these. And you're like, okay, they must know better than me. They yeah. must know, they must understand what needs to happen. And unfortunately, that wasn't the case. You know, he just kept um, falling further and further behind. Year did after you year realize year. he needed OG or Gillingham? When did you start learning more about dyslexia? When did you say, okay, let me go to this, this support group? Like, when did you switch, switch it into high gear? When did you say, oh, okay. When did I start? When did I start that group? Um, I think it was, man, because I think that was the same time frame that you and I met. 
Yep. Is when I found out about decoding dyslexia. So it must have been at least 2017, 2018 when I started. I knew I had been reading about this decoding dyslexia, but I think I didn't start with actually like getting more involved until 2018 when we met. And oh man, you're talking about doors opening up. That was like, I, I can't even begin to tell you the weight that was lifted off my shoulders at that time. So finding that support group and having oh, a network absolutely. of parents. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what I also realized is that through the years, I kept, to me, in my opinion, I was spinning wheels. I kept coming to these meetings and we were having IEP meeting after IEP meeting. And I, I just felt like I was spinning wheels and, and the, the, it was getting more and more complicated from a, a academic standpoint where he just wasn't making progress. And I could not understand why were they not able to manage this kid? This kid was not a behavior problem. He wasn't throwing chairs. He wasn't cursing teachers. He wasn't running out the classroom. He wasn't doing any of those distracting behaviors, right? He was sitting in class and maybe making paper airplanes and fooling with his pencil and throwing things up in the air and catching them. That was probably the basis of what he was doing. And I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. Why, why is this, why can't they educate him? Why can't they bring him up to speed? on where he needs to be. And um, I realized at that point that I needed help. I needed help. I knew that this was not right. And I knew that he was still not making progress. And there was we're a problem. Talking, we're talking, I noticed something in my child mm-hmm. in kindergarten. Uh-huh. Right. I noticed something in my child in kindergarten. Yes. And here we are. Uh, what two different schools, mm-hmm. multiple mm-hmm. assessments. We're, yep. we're talking fifth and sixth grade, and yep. this child still isn't making progress. Still isn't making progress. And you're an involved parent, mm-hmm. and you're attending the IEP meetings, and yes. you're asking questions, and it's still nothing is happening. Nothing is happening. Right? Nothing is happening. So can you imagine the parents mm-hmm. who who aren't as engaged, but mm-hmm. they have an IEP? Mm-hmm. Or or they don't have an IEP, but the kid's still passing. Mm-hmm. The kid's still passing. We know with this virtual environment with COVID, right? A lot of parents are like, wait a minute, I'm home with my child. They yep. can't even read this line here. I'm looking like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And, and, and a lot of parents are saying, wait a minute. Like, like, what's going on? So here you find this group. Talk about that. Talk about this advocacy piece, because like yourself, it was life-changing for our family. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. And, and, and talk to us about this advocacy and what that experience was like. And, and tell us being a, a, a Black parent in this mm-hmm. space. So I came to the table. It was Baltimore County. It, it was because we didn't have a Baltimore City chapter. So Baltimore County is the one that we went to. And I remember the first meeting, and I always laugh with you about this, because the first meeting was, they were already like at advocacy and talking about going to, to Annapolis. And, you know, and I was like, wait, I'm, I'm not here yet. Like, I'm not there. I'm just trying to figure out, like, what is this? What is this that my son has that I need to try to figure out and learn more about? And I'm sitting at the table and you know, you're there and all the, 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 the Baltimore County group is there, you know, these phenomenal women are sitting at this table and I'm like, I am so behind the time and what's happening. And but so, let, let me back up and just let yeah. you know, decoding <laughs> dyslexia is a grassroots organization of parents mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, who um, want to help children with dyslexia and other language-based learning disabilities and really move the needle in the public school system. So mm-hmm. um, it's international. We've got a chapter in every state, and then it even breaks down locally within your state, right? So it's a bunch of volunteer parents, mostly mostly moms, mm-hmm. and depending on the skill set of the volunteers is kind of mm-hmm. dri- it drives uh, that Absolutely. particular chapter. So the chapter where Camilla and I met was a chapter that was heavy on advocacy. So mm-hmm. some of these parents had um, worked in in this political space prior to. Yes. They knew about legislation. So when she's saying that this was you know she wasn't there yet neither was i because i was just trying to find out like how can i get help for my daughter who has dyslexia mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Th- these particular meetings were held at a private dyslexia school mm-hmm. um i didn't even know that they in the beginning i didn't even know that they had private dyslexia schools. It, neither did i <laughs> okay and there, there were majority white women mm-hmm. um and and camilla and i know that we both were at that first meeting together because we said, oh, there's another black parent. And so at that time, they were prepping for, for a bill that they wanted to submit. So mm-hmm. a lot of the language, a lot of the conversation was over both of our heads. Yeah. Right. And, and so that's what she's referencing, this decoding dyslexia group. But again, being a part of that was life-changing. So I'm sorry, Camilla. Continue. No, no, I'm glad you, you said that because it was. And not only did I meet you through that, but I also had got connected with an academic therapist and she was African-American female and she was an academic therapist. And so we connect, matter of fact, she was the one that connected you and I. Ah. And that's how I found out that you were going to be at that meeting. And so I met with her and I think we had talked and we were going to, she was going to meet with my son. And I can't remember exactly what happened. We did end up meeting like a couple of times, but at the time again, because of the cost of tutoring, you know, it was just above me to be able to, I, I just couldn't um, manage it at the time. And, and I so, just tell you guys mm-hmm. that, so we're talking about advocacy and in that advocacy, she was connected to a, um, a dyslexia therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to say a tutor, right? Because most parents would just think I need a tutor for my child. Mm-hmm. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. There's a homework tutor and then there's an intervention tutor, mm-hmm. right? I paid a homework tutor to work with my daughter who's dyslexic, which did nothing. I didn't right. know the difference, but, right. but we're going to be thinking tutor. You're not thinking interventionist. You're not thinking mm-hmm. dyslexia therapist because mm-hmm. for the most part, you never heard these terms before because you just got introduced to, to dyslexia, right? Mm-hmm. So essentially it was an interventionist, right? Yeah. A dyslexia therapist, but typically in your mind, you're thinking a tutor. And here in the Maryland area, because we're in Baltimore City, Maryland, but here in the Maryland area, a tutor can run you anywhere from $75 per session to up to $123 yes. yep. a session. Yeah. Okay. A, a session, session is an hour. <laughs> a session. Well, wait a minute. 45 minutes. 45 minutes. And, and so that's just for tutoring and you need, the recommendation is three times a week, but no less than two. Mm-hmm. So, so math is not my, my strength, you know, but, but do the math, 75, mm-hmm. 75, right. Uh, or 123, 123, right. And, and then mm-hmm. 
you know, do the math. Like that's very expensive. Absolutely. It's expensive. And I couldn't maintain the cost of that. So I stopped. I think after the second session, I stopped. And it was a number of reasons. There were other things going on too. Because the other thing too is that when you're, when you have a neurodivergent child, you still, you know, many parents still have other kids. Yep. And so there's a lot of time and energy that's used and taken up dealing with advocacy and being at the table and going to meetings for that child. You have to still manage, like I have another child who needs me. Mm-hmm. And there are still things and services and other things, you know, whatever uh, program, summer camp, all of that stuff. You know, there's other expenses that um, you have as well. But I knew, I knew I needed help. This group was phenomenal for me because it let me know that I was not alone and there were other parents who were going through the same struggle who were super supportive of me and they just flooded me with resources to help with understanding what's happening and and getting involved and and it was just a game changer for me and that was when I think I just I knew I was in the right place and we got connected and then it was just we got to do this for one more city, like, you know, because this is the county and we don't have this resource for a lot of parents who are in Baltimore City. And one of the things that, that drives me nuts is when people constantly say that, oh, well, you know, parents need to get more involved. Um, and, and when they say that, they incorporate it as in um, there's this, I think, assumption that because they're parents who are maybe lower income, lower education literacy, They have just a lot of barriers to being able to get involved. You know, it's not that these parents are just choosing to not be involved because guess what? I was sitting at those tables and I was like, I have no idea what the heck they're talking about. Yep. You know, so it's not about education of the parent. It's not. And we need to stop assuming that, oh, if you're an educated parent, then you're going to be somehow more successful than an uneducated parent, whatever that even means. But there are a lot of parents who are struggling with literacy issues themselves. They aren't able to be at home with their kids and read and do some of the homework and even recognize that their kids are struggling because, you know, for whatever limitations they had, they didn't make it through school or some of them have very limited education Um, or they're dealing with mental health illness, you know, and housing insecurity food insecurity, you know, a lot of things are on the plate and there are other children in the home and sometimes they just can't get there. It's just difficult. And we don't even, we don't, as a culture, we don't even have this network because we don't talk about it. Yeah. Right. We don't talk about mental illness. We don't talk about learning disabilities. So it's not even like you could call up a friend, right? Right. I had people tell me, oh, you're being over the top. There's nothing wrong with her. She's fine. You, You know, you're a new mom. And, mm-hmm. and nobody wants to talk about it, mm-hmm. right? Well, when we went mm-hmm. to that group, all these parents, and they were white parents, they, they were, were talking kids. about it. Oh, my nephew this, multiple kids this. Oh, I'm mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. I have dyslexia and mm-hmm. I didn't get help, but I'm, I'm going to make sure my child gets help. And mm-hmm. it was like, wow. Yeah. Like, wow. And I looked at the whole IEP differently because yeah. they were breaking it down to me. You know, uh, somebody met me at the library at uh, mm-hmm. in Baltimore County Mm-hmm. And um, she was helping me go through the IEP to prep for my next meeting. Mm-hmm. This was another parent. Yeah. Right? And, and so it was different. And I kept saying, well, dang, you know, dyslexia is hereditary. Mm-hmm. I want 
where are all the black parents? Right? They, they care, right. right? They care, and we know yes. that it's hereditary, yes. and we know here in Baltimore City, a lot of folks don't leave. Right. And so then I'm thinking I'm a former educator. I said, you know what? Their parents are a product of this failed system. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm like, they're, they're that is the key. Are a product of this key. failed system. And I'm like, well, well, dang it. Where, where are they? Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. are they? So then that's when we got together, me, you and Ginger, and mm-hmm. we started the support group in Baltimore City. Yep. Because we wanted to help parents in Baltimore City, which is an urban school district, predominantly Mm -hmm. Black and underrepresented minorities. And we Mm -hmm. wanted to, you know, have a support group, have a decoding dyslexia chapter where parents Mm -hmm. could come and get the help that we got. Exactly. But we had to drive, you know, we had to drive further out to to that school, um, to that support group. So, So talk to us about the advocacy piece and and starting this chapter because now you're a parent, right? Who parents are going to for help, but mm-hmm. but I want you to put in there you're still advocating for your son. You're still, still advocating, advocating for Austin. Still advocating, and you know I was like, oh man, when we decided to do the Baltimore City chapter, I was just super excited because I was like, I don't want any parent to go through the stuff that I went through. I want to be able to give them whatever nuggets, whatever information I have, I want to be able to get them, give to them at the start so that they would have cut the time off of how long it's going to take them to be able to, to get things done. And so it has been, you know, amazing. I have talked with different parents um, who are going through different levels of struggle. And I'm so thankful. You know, this this process with having a child who's neurodiverse, it can be very frustrating. It can be very, like there are days, like I go in the bathroom and I'm crying. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm in the shower and I'm crying because I'm like, I don't know how to help my child. You know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what else to do. I don't know where to go. Like, who? how do I handle this? But it has given me so much drive and I am thankful for it because what it helped me realize is that it opened the door for me to see just how poorly our kids are doing just across the board, yep. right? And how many of our kids are probably sitting in classrooms and dealing with these learning challenges that are just being ignored because we're focusing on the behavior, <laughs> you yep. know, yep. the behavior that they're presenting. So I, I love doing the advocacy piece. I actually connected with Ms. Ronetta Stanley. And she is an educational advocate and her organization is called Loud Voices Together. We actually started our journey in 2018 as well. And I actually found out about her through another advocate. And again, I can't mention her name because I didn't get permission, but she's an advocate, Caucasian woman who met with me and went over my stuff. And I, I owe so much gratitude to her because she worked with me went over my stuff, we talked. And to me, it was so ethical what she did. Like she realized that where I was, I needed something different than what she would be able to offer. Mm -hmm. And she did not charge me for helping me during that period of time. And she was the one that recommended Miss Stanley to me. And I can't even begin to even tell you about what I have learned the the things that I have learned about advocacy through Wait a minute. I think I think I think we were at karate practice on like a Saturday, Camilla. Uh-huh. And I think that first advocate you're talking about, something came up and you needed help. Remember that? 
and um another young lady had stepped in. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes, no, I was yes. That's correct. That's correct. Because the the yes, there was someone who was supposed to go to the IEP meeting with me and they were not able to make it. And so you gave me the contact for another advocate, African American female, who sat with me in that meeting and was so helpful because again you don't know what you need to know going into those meetings. There is language that is being used that you just, as a parent, because unless you're in this zone, you don't understand, you know, and she was able to help me even through that process. And so um, she was only available for that one time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but so I, I, ended I up remember <laughs> calling, I remember being walking around in the parking lot like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, Camilla needs help. She got this IEP yes. and she don't have anybody yes. to go for. And I'm walking around in, in the parking lot and I called and I, I would call her auntie. I was like, auntie, I, I need you. <laughs> I, I need I need help. And, and let me just kind of explain what I'm talking about here. Mm-hmm. So I used to work in education. Um, I worked for our local um, school district and I worked on a network. So I worked with special educators, social workers, literacy um, folks and HR folks. Right. Mm -hmm. So I have a network of people like that that I know. And then I was a high school teacher. Right. Mm -hmm. And and after that. So then I know a little bit, you know, I know most some more people and I know how to navigate the school system a little more than than a a parent who did not work for the district. Right. So we're talking about advocacy and giving your time to learn and help others. But you see how she's also helping herself because she got an advocate who was able to help her and not charge her. And then when she needed someone to attend an IEP meeting with her, we were able to find somebody to go yeah. with her. And then she got connected to Miss Stanley, mm-hmm. right? So, so now yeah. we're building a network of people that we know who can help us. Absolutely. Prior to joining this support group, that didn't exist. Exactly. Exactly. It's like this, this little known island basically, you know, and one of the the things that I really love about this process that I've gone through is the forgiveness part. Like forgive yourself for what you don't know. Forgive yourself for the fact that you you didn't go to school for education, (laughs) you know, and the advocacy part is something I feel like it was, um, it was a calling because I love doing it when I'm talking to other parents. And sometimes wait for like, I'm on the phone with a parent and I might text you, Oh my goodness, like, <laughs> yep, yep. we got a parent that needs some help. And, and let me just say, I, I need to take this moment to and just say how incredibly grateful I am to you because you, I don't think you realize how much of a support and how much of just a back you are for me. And I, I don't know where I would be without being able to call you because sometimes y'all, I'm, I'm, frustrated I am angry I am irritated and I'll text like can you talk (laughs) and she was like hold on hold on I'm in the middle of something but I'm gonna get right back at you you know and so being able to have that is so important because I'm gonna tell you nobody really understands what you are going through with your child in this arena because your parents or your family they may get it a little bit but they don't fully understand Right. But when you're working with other parents, they get it. They understand it. And, you know, I consider you an advocate 
for me. You know, you were you were an advocate for me. You probably my first advocate, to be honest with you, oh. <laughs> because you know you are a connector. Like you have connected me to so many resources and so many things. You have helped me build what I have just going through this journey. And so I am forever grateful for you and the just the knowledge that you have. And even when you think that you're not doing much, you are doing a lot. Oh, thank you. you Thank you. Thank you. But it's, no, I really, I'm very serious about that. Y'all, I'm not saying that just because we're friends, but she is, she is. That's why we're friends. Yeah, she has been a rock for me. That, and I'm going to be honest, I was like scoping her out. We met at the meeting, right? Mm -hmm, At the the mm -hmm. Baltimore Mm -hmm. County meeting. And then I invited you to the the session with the attorney who was speaking to the parents on that Saturday. And in my mind, I was like, okay. Everybody keeps telling me to uh, start a chapter in Baltimore City. I was like, I cannot do it alone. I got to find some more parents who can help me. So then I invited you to that event. And then I would go back and tell Laura, she came to the event. Laura was like, keep an eye on her. That's a good one, right? And then um, it was something else. And you showed up. Right, yes. you and Austin were at Advocacy Day, and I was yes. like, hey, yes. nice, and we've been talking. So the whole time, you and Ginger, I was checking, like, okay, they came to this, and they're doing this, and then, like, what, a year, year and a half, two years later, I was like, okay, ladies, I think we're ready. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and Ginger, oh, my God. I, I, you know, man, she is this, so she's our, she's our white sister. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. But she has been amazing in this in this whole process too. And I think we it was destiny for us to come together. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause we all bring a different skill set to this. We There's do. a different kind of calm. You know, my tell I went to uh Portland, Oregon. <laughs> Mm-hmm. For the IDA mm-hmm. conference, I'm like, look, we're going to do this and I'm going to get this information and bring this back. And then mm-hmm. I'm always thinking, how can we reach more parents? Mm-hmm. Um, but we needed that support group in the city and we needed Absolutely. that um, camaraderie as, as black parents going through this because the yes. journey just, yes. it looks different. It feels different. We're judged by the school system. We're yes. judged by our peers yes. because they don't believe in labels. Mm-hmm. Right. And and mm-hmm. and I always say, well, it doesn't follow you past K-12, but but why are you in K-12? Go ahead and get the label so you can get what you need. Right. Yeah. Because right? yeah. they didn't even tell you dyslexia. Right. Had you had they told you that from the get go, you know, the research would have started earlier. You right. know? So, so we need that label now because, you know, truth be told, they're going to label your child. It's just a matter of the right label or the wrong label. Exactly. Your child's going to get labeled. They're going to either get labeled behavior problems. Yep. That's more than likely what they're going to get behavior. That's yep. what they're um, going to get labeled Emotionally at. disturbed. Emotionally disturbed. Absolutely. Um, they're going to label them disruptive, yep. defiant. Oppositional. Yes. You know, yes. not following directions. Um, you know, these are some of the common terms. You know, they're not following directions. They're you know, refusing to do assignments, refusing to, you know, whatever it is, a number of things. And these are some of the, watch out for the language. The language is important. The language is super, super important because especially when you are dealing with children of color, whether it's female or male, more specifically, it's more hurtful for males just because of the nature of the, what I call a pandemic for, you know, black male in this country. But, you know, the language matters. You know, and when you start hearing things like this, you know, that's a concern. 
because there's there's a lot of focus on the behavior and no focus on what is behind this behavior. What is happening? Is this kid struggling? Maybe he's having difficulty with seeing the material. Maybe he you present this paper to him and he has no idea what's on this paper, so he can't do it. And then he's going to distract, maybe talk to his peers, play games, you know. Maybe he's going to walk around the class and get out of his seat and, you know, he's going to do some of these distracting behaviors. But it doesn't mean that it's coming from, I just want to be a jerk and I just want to disrupt your class. Exactly. You know, and that's exactly. what we need to keep in mind, that these kids are not coming to school thinking, how can I just irritate Miss So-and-so today? They're not. They are coming to school to learn. They're coming to school for the same reason every other student is coming to school, because they want to learn. They, they're happy to be there. My son, this, this path could have been so different for him, because imagine sitting in class in a mainstream, he's in it still all through this these years, he was still sitting in mainstream classrooms. So, you know, watching other students get it and, and learn and, and, you know, just be able to produce work that he wasn't able to do. And you know how many kids resort to um, different, more concerning behaviors as oh, a result absolutely. of that? Absolutely. We know. They're we frustrated. Know. They're angry. You know, yeah. they they're, drop out. They, they, they end up in the streets. We know that. Yes. Um, that study out of Texas showed that 80% of, yeah. of inmates, yep. right, were, were yep. illiterate and 40% were dyslexic. So we know where it leads when they don't learn to read. Yeah, uh, we know where it leads. leads. And, the, and the thing that's frustrating about this lead. is that this is not new. No. There are people who do, there are people who are paid to get statistics. These statistics, statistics I always get trapped up with that word. These statistics have been there for years. We know what has been happening. We know the trajectory. People have been saying the same thing for years. When you are struggling with education, these are some of the, the um, areas that you are susceptible to. You know, classroom suspensions, demerits, detentions, suspensions, mm-hmm. expulsions, you well, name you know, it. You know, it's a history of not educating yeah. Black folks yeah. You know, historically, you know, we weren't supposed to learn how to read. Mm-hmm. Right. Because without that, it would keep us what? Right. Yeah. And so it's just, you know, it's kind of yeah, it's, it's still happening. It's, it's, still, it's, happening. it's, still, it's happening. still happening. And there's still this perception of these kids that they just don't want to learn. And that's just not true. And that parents aren't engaged and parents aren't doing their part. You right. you did a lot. I did a lot. And guess what? I was going nowhere. (laughs) I was doing a lot and going nowhere. And so, you know, that's why I, um, that's why I want to be an advocate for other parents because I don't want anybody to have to go through what I went through. Still going through to this day, by the way. Oh, talk to us about that. Talk to us about after connecting with Miss Stanley. Yeah. So after connecting with Miss Stanley, we, um, she participated in every IEP meeting that I had from 2018 until now. And so I think it was 2020, um, after much advocating, much, uh, and I know you, you're going to get into data, so I won't go down that road, but just helping me advocate for my son and helping me pull together information and looking at teaching me how to focus on the data 
right? And mm-hmm. what's happening and being able to kind of get a picture of what's going on. What is it that he really needs? Where is it that they need to focus on the intervention? So we have been on this journey since 2018 and by 2000, that was August of 2018, I believe. And then when we met with the central IP team um, through Baltimore City, we met and we had a couple of IP meetings with them. And at the last meeting, which was in, I think it was February of 2020, um, we were able to prove faith that he was not getting a free and appropriate education, public education. And say so, so say that it, again. He would, we, we were able to prove faith that he was not getting um, a, a free, free and public education. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So parents, you probably hear that and have read that term in the literature, free and appropriate public education. Mm-hmm. So by working with the advocate, she was mm-hmm. able to determine the school wasn't able to provide what he needed. Exactly. They weren't able to provide it. They were not able to provide what he needed. So then what happened when you were able to prove that? So we, at that time, they actually had decided that they were going to pay for him to go to a school that was able to meet his needs. And so um, we ended up at, well, COVID happened, actually. Oh, yeah. that was February 2020. And so after all of this, you know, and I'm telling you, when I was at the table and they unanimously agreed to do, um, to pay for him to attend another school. And and that's here in Maryland, a a non-public placement. Yeah. He was awarded, you were awarded a non-public placement. He was awarded non-public placement. Yeah. And at the end of that meeting, I, I cried. It was just years of built up stress and tension and heartbreak and a lot of things. I cried at the end and I was thankful to them. And I told them, you know, everybody sitting at the table, thank you so much. So what grade was that? That was, he was going into eighth grade? He was going into eighth grade. So that was seventh grade. So from second, really not even second grade, but he was at this school from second grade until seventh grade. He wasn't getting what he needed. He wasn't getting what he needed. And during that period of time too, there were some things that had been done and again, I, I won't get into the judgment of this because it is what it is. But so remember when I told you that he was held back. So when he was in fourth grade, the focus was, OK, what can we do to motivate him? You know, because the focus was motivation, not on that he's actually not learning. But if we can motivate him, he'll do better. Right. Oh, God. So the decision at that time was, OK, instead of him going to fifth grade, we're going to promote him to sixth grade. Because he's going to want to be in sixth grade. He's going to want to be with his sister. What? (laughs) Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. So my son skipped fifth grade. He completely skipped fifth grade. The whole time, but not getting the interventions or anything he needed. But now he's back on track. He's back on track. Quotation mark, air marks, you guys. But now he's back on track. Wow. He's back on track. And, um... Again, the thing is, is, is when you make decisions like that, you have to have documentation to prove that he has met what he needed to meet to be able to promote. You know, you can't just promote a child and you don't have any evidence that you, you have no evidence to support And this is the sad thing. As a parent, you don't even know what this documentation is. You don't, you don't know what it looks like. You don't know what the language is, should say, mm-hmm. but the educators do, mm-hmm. right? They know, well, we hope they know, 
Right. They know more than we know. Right. Oh my God. So my son in essence went from fourth grade. He, there was a transition period to a fifth grade homeroom just to kind of see how he does and to determine whether or not the decision will be made to place him in sixth grade. He did really did not do all that well in that fifth grade homeroom, um, but the decision was made to place him in sixth grade. And again, I know people are hearing this and thinking, yeah, but you had to agree to that, right? And at that point, I was like, well, okay. I mean, if you guys really think that this is going to be best, okay. You know, I have concerns. I was very vocal about the concerns that I had for it. Like, how is he? So, okay, we, we've got this kid who's fourth grade. He's in fourth grade, but he's still not on the fourth grade level. But now we're promoting him to sixth grade. And so you can see how, for me, I was like, yeah, this is, this is above me. Because I can't even begin to figure out what's happening right now. Like, how are we doing this? How are we justifying this? I know schools have an ability to kind of, you know, navigate things and do things a little differently. But how do we get to the point of now saying, well, he doesn't really necessarily need fifth grade. We're just going to transition him on to sixth grade. Wow. Yeah. And I had a lot of concerns. And I actually had a separate meeting with the assistant principal to discuss my concerns about it. And they were all very, again, you know, and I think the other piece too to this is that, you know, when you're going through this, people are going to make you feel very comfortable and very confident that the decisions that they're making are for the best. And based on their, you know, based on what they're seeing and what they're assessing and and those things, this is what we think is really going to work for him. You know, we really think it's more of a motivation because you know how many times that I heard motivation over the years? You know, we got to get him motivated. He's just not motivated. He's just not motivated. Well, he's motivated, but he needs to learn. You got to give him the skills. He doesn't have the skills, you know? And so, yeah, he, he went from fourth grade and transitioned to sixth grade. And so needless to say, I had to get someone involved because this was way more than I could even begin to break down. And that's kind of what, you know, started my transition and getting an advocate. And so when I was working with Miss Stanley, one of the things that I just super admire about her, she is, let me tell y'all, if, if I would recommend her over again and again, because she's not the type that's just going to come in and control your meeting and just be your voice. She is going to educate you along the way. She is going to share things with you. She is going to help you understand the process. And when you're meeting in meetings, her thing is, you know, if there's anything that comes up, write it down, ask me afterwards, and I'll explain it, you know, that kind of thing. And that was super helpful. And that right there was one of the key things that made me say, I want to do this for other parents. I want to be able to give them what I got, you know. And again, now I have to pay Miss Stanley, so it's not like it was a free service. Exactly. So this was, again, money that I had to come up with, but I would absolutely spend over and over again. But the key is I was blessed, lucky, whatever you want to call it, enough to be able to afford it. I call it our privilege. Yeah, right? that Even is our when privilege. I, when, when I couldn't afford the yes. tutoring, I was privileged because I had a credit card with no balance. Exactly. Right? And I was able to charge exactly. it on, on the credit card, right? Because mm-hmm. we couldn't afford that $123 an hour. Right. right. But I was privileged enough to have this card that I could charge it on. Right. Exactly. Um, the number of hours we were doing um, a week. <laughs> and, and again, you know, whew, all tutoring is not is not the same. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. It's, it's privilege. 
I recognize my privilege. I recognize that the fact that I can sit at that table and I can talk to that team, whether it's 20 people or five, and I can be very comfortable in that environment. That's my privilege. But how many parents are intimidated, Yep. don't understand the language, don't know what they're supposed to be asking, don't understand, like when they're hearing things, they don't know, does this sound right? Is this right? I guess. They don't know. You don't know when you're at that table. But, and it's very intimidating. I mean, the meetings now I'm in, it's like 10, 15 staff deep that I'm you that at those me. tables. You're better than me. I don't want to be at meetings. This is how uh-huh. I want to help educate people, yeah. right? Yeah. I want to talk to parents. I want to talk to professionals. Right. You know, I want to have advocates, tutors, everybody. Mm-hmm. I don't ever want to be at another IEP meeting as mm-hmm. long as I live. Mm-hmm. I would leave there crying. I would leave confused. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I had somebody tell me later, oh, no, you did a great job. You were great. Mm-hmm. Now, I had my binder and I didn't cry in the meeting. And I was taking notes. Sometimes I was mm-hmm. scribbling profanity. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, because I didn't know what was going on. And, and then I would leave and I would cry and then I couldn't remember. So yes. even you can have somebody yes. there just to be a note taker. Absolutely. Right? Oh, they, that is an excellent point. That is an excellent is point. Note- because yeah. you're so emotional. You know, I tell everybody the story. My daughter's father, he came to one IEP meeting. Mm-hmm. I thought he went to go get water or use the restroom. Dude never came back. <laughs> He's like, the walls were closing in on me. They kept talking about my baby. Oh, no. Like, you you do it. You're doing a great job. Oh, my God. Right? It, it takes a special kind of person because yeah, it's not it- fun. I'm telling you, you know where I, I stand on this. I don't believe any parent. I don't care what your income is. I don't care what your social status is. No parent should be in an IEP alone. Nope. No parent. Because I went year after year alone in that IEP. And I'm going to be honest with you. You know, as much as I have, I have always partnered with teachers. I've always partnered with the schools, always. And that's who I am, right? Because you have my, you have my child. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to partner with you. I'm going to work with you because I want the best for him. But the thing is, is that I do believe that at these meetings, school systems, whatever you want to call them, they know that as a parent, you don't know. Yes. They know this. They do know. Please understand. They know. And they know what you don't know. And they they know what you should know and you don't know. Yeah. Right. Like I, I had my binder. I had a book, but I didn't know I was supposed to be getting progress reports with the report card for the IEP goals. The principal said, hey, you you know, you're calling a lot of IEP meetings. Do you feel like we're not communicating with you? You get this, you get this, you get this. I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I get what? I've never received that. And I read body language very well, right? Right. Having worked for the district and having been in hard meetings with principals and and leadership in school buildings, I knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. I could tell the body language. She looked at the IEP chair. The IEP chair looked away. Then she was like, oh, well, maybe I didn't get you that. That was a violation. Wow. Right? But I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know you that don't. at the time. I just you thought, oh, she forgot to give me this paper. I'll get the paper, not knowing that that IEP, not really understanding that exactly. it is a legally binding yes. document. Yes. Certain things yes. must be followed. Timelines mm-hmm. must be followed. I didn't mm-hmm. know. And mm-hmm. like you, I partnered with the school. I was on my daughter's school board. 
Mm-hmm. I do an IEP meeting, got to get myself together and then go take minutes. At the mm-hmm. meeting, right. So, mm-hmm. so I was a partner in the school too. And, and we just don't know what we don't know until after we should have known it. Yeah. Because you know, when, when you talk about this wait to fail model, do you think four years behind is enough? <laughs> is that enough? You know, how many years are enough that these kids are suffering? that these kids are not learning, that these kids are, like you said, getting these labels. How many years is enough? How many years is appropriate? The fact that we even have this, that kind of system in place is just so unethical on so many levels. Yes, yes. And it amazes me. It amazes me. What's going on now? How is Austin doing now? And where are you at in getting him what he needs now? So I'm actually in the process through working with you and trying to get a tutor for him, an academic therapist, to, uh, math okay. and for reading. Okay. How is that um, the, the math? Oh, whew, child. The math. No, oh, the tutor. How is it going with getting the tutor? Oh, so the tutor, we're still in the process of doing that. Okay. We're still okay. in the process of tutor. I was able to connect with the tutor, okay. um, which was really, really helpful because even in that short period of time and talking with the math tutor, and so my son has, so just a little bit of quick background, his math skills are extremely low. So I can't even wrap my head around how he's struggling with math, but it, it's very, very low. And so I ended up talking with a math tutor and who explained to me some things that I, I didn't even realize. I'm about like mental math because all this time I'm like, oh, he can't do mental math. And then when we talked about, because my son loves cooking mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. is an excellent cook, believe it or not, at 14, he cooks very well. And so we were talking about that. He's like, okay, does he use a recipe? And I said, well, no, he doesn't. He's like, so he just freehands it? And I said, yeah. He's like, he's doing mental math. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, Ms. Whitehead, if he wasn't doing mental math, that food would either be over-seasoned, not seasoned enough, but it just would be bad. For him to bring all those seasonings together and get that meal right, he's doing some sort of mental math on how much seasoning is supposed to be in here for it to taste a certain way. So little things like that, you know, and I'm like, oh, I didn't think about it that way. You know, so we're we're in the process of still working with him for so the math piece, which he's is on, um, he's at a non-public school. He's at, at a non-public, COVID. yeah. So yeah, that was another transition. So it was COVID. So most of that time he wasn't in school; it was virtual. Yeah, and I'm gonna yeah. tell you right now, it was awful. It was horrible. My son has been failed strictly because of missing class or not being in class on time, and not being able to get the assignments done. But then when they transitioned to the hybrid model Mm -hmm. and they were going in person, it was just night and day. Oh, wow. Night and day. So some kids have thrived in this virtual environment and some kids have just tanked. My son is one that tanked. I am not going to sugarcoat it. It was awful. Just when you're dealing with a kid who's executive functioning, who's ADHD, you're at home. It's so many distractions. I'm at work. I mean, really. It's a recipe for disaster. It's a thousand things that he can get into. And sometimes he would forget multiple classes. He just didn't attend. Not because it was just, oh, I don't want to be in class today, but just because he forgot. He doesn't have a sense of time. So even with putting things in place, like even on the laptop, he would put the timer on. But guess what? If he's not at the laptop, 
The timer doesn't work. Exactly. <laughs> if he's downstairs in the refrigerator making something to eat, <laughs> he doesn't hear the laptop going off to say, hey, you need to be in school. So there were um, things that, again, the communication, it was just, uh, it hasn't been good communication regarding things that could potentially be done to try to encourage him to attend to help me, you know, with certain things um, that I can put in place to help him attend. So it has been just bad, bad in the sense virtual was awful. I will not even pretend that it was anything other than that. And so um, now we're we're wrapping up this school year. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to um you're trying to find him tutors for the summer. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. summer school is I don't even call it summer school. It's just like it's just the norm. We go yeah. from regular yeah. school to how do we help them maintain it or maintain their skills or continue to gain new mm-hmm. skills so they can so we can close the gap. So yep. there's no break. There's no break. So I gotta come up with some money for tutoring for him and then we're transitioning so I have a kid that's transitioning to high school that's a whole nother <laughs> that's a whole nother element so in essence he lost the whole year with wow COVID. so yeah so I I don't know what's going to come of this ninth grade school year you know having him being in high school because it's different what I'm learning through this process because this is the first time that I'm transitioning the kid you know both of them are going to high school and I'm transitioning from middle school to high school and it's really dawning on me, like, a lot of the things that they're doing in middle school, they're going to be doing differently in high school. Oh, yeah. So then I'm like, I can't even begin to tell you the, the roar of panic that I'm feeling in the pit of my stomach about what this is going to look like and how he's going to do. And, you know, when you talk about assessments and the high school assessments and all that, and I'm like, oh, my God, what is this going to look like? So I'm trying not to just become a ball of anxiety. <laughs> no, it's gonna it's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine because look, you've gotten this far, right? Look, I feel like that fourth grade to sixth grade transition was a whirlwind. Because normally in fifth grade you're still prepping for middle school, right? Exactly. Like they prep exactly. Logan, Logan's in fifth grade. They prepped her this whole fifth grade year for middle school, right? Wow. They they started in with an advisor because now she's gonna have an advisor versus I think mm-hmm. a homeroom or something like that. So mm-hmm. a lot of little things they dipped into fifth grade, they were preparing them for, for middle school. Right. And so, right. so I feel like if you know, we know children are resilient. If he can make that fourth to sixth, he's gonna make this this high school leap. And we yeah, got more support, right? We got more support <laughs> for him. This summer is gonna be amazing. I'm just speaking it into existence, yeah. right? Yeah. This is gonna be a good summer. They're opening up, we can get some in-person. Yeah, schools are supposed to be opening up, like, I think, completely for, or at least some schools anyway. I don't know. Well, we're home. Well, Logan's home now because somebody tested positive for COVID. So she's home for the next 10 days doing virtual. So, yeah. Yeah. So they're opening up. But then, (laughs) you know, we still have this shutdown phase going on. But Camilla, let's wrap this up. I want you to give parents just, if you had one thing you would tell a parent, who may be going through this process because we've talked about understanding, knowing that something is going on with the child, young, mm-hmm. right? Just mm-hmm. having a feeling. Mm-hmm. We talked about trusting the school, right? And just going through that process and then really buckling down and, and advocating so that you have a support system in place. So what is one thing that you would like to leave a parent with who may be going through this journey and feeling frustrated and alone? So I'm going to try to group this and it's, it's all one, but I'm going to try to group it together. But not only just 
uh, not ignoring what you're seeing with your kid, but talking with the teachers early, talk with them, have these concerns, ask for meetings, ask for data, ask for, you know, how they're doing with school, you know, and specifically whatever it is that you are feeling that your kid is struggling with. Learn about child fine. Most parents don't understand that process of child fine. Look it up. Every county has it, right? At least I think (laughs) they should have it. Learn about child fine because if you are concerned and if you feel like, you know, you're meeting with the school and you're saying, hey, I want my kid assessed and they're saying, yeah, no, your kid's fine, you know, but you're like, no, he's not. You know, learn about this process. If after talking with them and, and talking with the principal, whoever you need to talk to, they're still unwilling, do that child find process. Because even though it was not successful for me, the two times that I did it, but that was the process that I needed to be able to get something done. Gotcha. Right? Because you can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk with the school all you want. And if they're continuing, oh, well, let's just see, let's just see, let's wait. Go through that child find process. And really, it's something that educators are supposed to be doing, too, if they feel that the kid is not making progress or there is a concern that something's going on. But just forgive yourself. Oh, my God. Forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. I'm still a work in progress. I'm not going to pretend that I have forgiven myself. Forgive yourself for all that you do not know. You are not. You have helped me with this. Other people have helped me with this along the way. Um forgive yourself. Like you are not, you are not impenetrable. You are not a wall that, you know, you are still learning. You are learning this process along with learning what your kids needs are. Be kind to yourself. Trust yourself, you know, get help. You know, there's resources. There's a lot of resources. Connect with Wendy. (laughs) Dyslexia application. Connect with her. She is, I'm telling you, she is a resource queen and will connect you. She has connected parents to me. Like, this is what she does, you know? But yeah, just, I I think those are the biggest things. And don't assume that because your kid is in school that the teachers know best. And I say that with all due respect. That is not anything disrespectful to teachers or anything like that. But I found out that there were a lot of things that teachers just didn't know. And when we were talking about dyslexia, they, they just didn't even know. Yep, they didn't know about it. They didn't know. They didn't, they just didn't know. I had my daughter's second grade teacher told me, she said it, I don't know how to help a child with dyslexia. Right. And, right. and we know that they right. aren't teaching, um, these undergraduate programs aren't teaching teachers the science of reading and exactly. they get like a half a class or a little, you know, section on dyslexia and learning disabilities. Mm-hmm. And, and it's mm-hmm. the number one learning disability. So, um, yeah. When it comes comes to reading. So we know that teachers don't intentionally go in not knowing, but they mm-hmm. aren't educated. So, mm-hmm. well, Camilla, thank you so much. Thank this you. So <laughs> fun. Okay. This was so fun. I told you guys this was going to be, this was going to be it because, you know, through this process, we've become really good friends, but yeah. I knew her journey and I wanted her to share it with you all because you are not alone. Mm-hmm. It is a journey. It is a marathon. It is not a sprint. And, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm a distance runner. And it's one of those marathons where your, your, to- your big toe coming off, right? Yeah, you got dry feet. You know, went through two pairs, three pairs of your good running shoes. And <laughs> you still got about 10 miles to go. <laughs> that, yes. Okay. Yes. 
So Camilla dropped some gems for you guys, right? Specifically, give yourself grace, right? Yes. Don't beat yourself up. Don't, don't be don't, afraid to cry. Don't be afraid you have to, to cry. cry. You, right. Go in your, your, whatever it is, your little prayer closet, whatever it is that you do, if it's your bathroom shower, cry. Because you got to get that, you got to release that, that steam. You got to release it. You got to release it. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Camilla dropped some <laughs> gems. She told us, give yourself some grace. Pay attention to the language. Pay attention to language in the IEP, right? Uh, pay attention to the language that the teacher is using to describe your child's behavior. That's really important. And finally, she said, get a network, get support, get help, work with other people. Thank you so much. Until next week, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Tune in next week, where we'll continue to bring you lived experiences and more unfiltered conversations with experts in the field around all things Black and dyslexic. Make sure you subscribe and follow the Black and Dyslexic podcast, where we educate, empower, and equip Black and underrepresented minorities. The Black and Dyslexic Podcast is partially funded by Morgan Cares and the Center for Urban Health Disparities Research and Innovation, awarded by the National Institute of Minority Health and Health Disparities. The Black and Dyslexic Podcast is sponsored by Dyslexia Advocation Incorporated, a 501c3 charitable organization located in Baltimore City, Maryland, whose mission is to equip parents of children with dyslexia and other language-based learning disabilities with the necessary tools to help their children become successful readers. You can find them on the web at www.soallcanread.org.